Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below, and even feature here yourself, if you've got what it takes. ...tend to fall apart. Well, what I would say to that is, like, there's a different, like, the main point is they are government employees, so obviously they are meant to represent the government. Obviously, people who work for the government are meant to be representatives of that culture that they are working for. Would you agree with that? Oh, what, sorry? Please read. Okay, the main thing with that is, is that if you work for the government, you have to have specifications for the government. You have to make sure you understand what the government is saying. You have to make sure that you understand that you are a representative of the government. Correct? Yes. Okay. Now, if you are in a government building and you do not work for the government, if Turkey did have freedom of expression, I'm not sure if it did or not, but if Turkey did have freedom of expression, societally and lawfully, would you should do you think that you should still be allowed to speak other languages or do you think you should have to speak english or the language that they speak in turkey well again and and i'll explain the difference in turkey they did, they did not have a built-in um social cohesion from the start they had a, an issue at the foundation of the of the nation the issue was that the Ottoman Empire was fragmented and many different people wanted groups wanted independence. There were a lot of um, local like tribal nationalist movements and Ataturk wanted to unify the nation around some ideal. And so he, yes, he sacrificed freedom of speech in Turkey and he banned some of the public freedom of speech in order to promote social cohesion. And most um, people who evaluate his history evaluated that particular contribution as highly positive because other countries were less socially cohesive and massive deaths resulted as, as um, from, from that um, you know, social disruption. Civil wars and conflicts that go on in other similar countries in the Middle East to this day, suppression of minorities and so on. All of that was um, part of the sacrifice. You had to sacrifice some freedoms so that everybody could be less individualist and more collective, in a sense, in a civic sense, and therefore um, not fighting each other. Now, in the United States, we don't have that liberty. We have, uh, for better or worse, we have a more rigid system of individual freedoms. I think it's a better approach. And so instead of the government telling us how to um, maintain our culture, it's up to our individual society, our society to, to maintain itself. And I'm telling you that, it's, that it is a problem when um, instead of shaming the students into social compliance, when the teacher is shamed and to the point where the teacher is not just shamed, but there's a chilling effect, teacher being threatened to be fired, it means that even softer versions, better worded versions, of what a teacher is saying are going to be less likely. There's a chilling effect where government officials are not going to intervene at all, not even to the small extent, in promoting the idea of social cohesion okay. and the long-term threat. Okay. So what I would ask for the so what I would like say to that is aren't like aren't there other ways which you can find social cohesion within a society? For instance, I'm Canadian. 
like in Canada, we actually have two, you know, we have two languages, two official languages. And our entire unification around around ourselves being Canadian is this love of multiculturalism. We love preserving other cultures. We love preserve like hell compared to America. We're a hell of a lot better at trying to preserve the First Nations culture, which was absolutely decimated because of this idea of shaming of others. Yes, right? the, the, the idea of shaming of others is not without problems on its own. Like any idea, it used to be misused by blatantly racist individuals in an era that where the understanding of humanity was quite racist. But just because our understanding of humanity and equality has expanded does not mean that we should abandon all form, all previous tools. I'll give you a simple example. Just because some very evil people used pistols does not mean that our military should be unarmed. Okay. What's important is not the tool, but, but how it's used. If it's used in the defense of equality and freedom, then we're fine with that tool being very dangerous on its own. Shaming is, an, is a dangerous tool. If it's misused, and even if it's overused, it has negative connotations. I do believe that positive reinforcement is way more important. The teacher should have been uh, more understanding and should have said, please speak English so that that guy in the corner can actually join the conversation. That's the type of, you know, attitude that, he, that she should have. But the, the problem is, is that we as a society, even on that level, don't support her. I don't think we support her because I be, we believe, and um, this is an issue in Canada as well, is that we defend everybody who's different than a Canadian, but we don't defend the, the right of the Canadian to be Canadian, to be whatever he is, um, because we believe that there's guilt associated with, um, you know, being a Canadian, basically a European settler in Canada. And okay, that can I ask you something? How much do you know about Canada? Because right now, because as I just said, I live in Canada. Quite a bit as they're my neighbor. But quite a bit as they're my neighbor. Have yes, and I also do research into their politics. I also do research into the, your politics. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But here's the thing. If you do research in our politics, you should know that being Canadian, one of our main factors in our national identity is having differences, is individualism. Our Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees us the right to be different from everybody else within our society. That is how we as Canadians are unified, by you know defending others for being different. We don't just see this with First Nations, but, but even with the fact that we have two you know, official languages. And we as Canadians work together all... No, no, no. Wait a second. We as Canadians work together with everybody in our country to make sure that we all have our individual rights to freedom of expression within the country. So you're fine with the United States declaring English as an official language in the United States? Yes. I'm completely fine with them declaring it as an official language. <laughs> well, there's one, one, uh, one point in my court, I guess. I didn't expect you to agree to that. And many people who, are, who accept open, open borders would say that what you said right now is very anti-multicultural and in some instances even possibly fascist. You would force people to actually speak English in all official government interactions in the, in the United States. And it's completely fine to have that. You know, it's completely fine to have a like official language for a country. You're talking to the guy who's with Antifa. Like, 
Look no, at the you don't, name. You, no, you don't have to do like, that. Like, Just suddenly, actually, that's fine. Maybe you're you're closer to the microphone now. Now you're very loud. Oh, you won't, sorry about sorry. that. I'm I, sorry about that. I just plugged in my black spaghetti back in. I'm too used to my headset. But oh, excellent! Yeah, like, uh, I, I brought you back down. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, but I, it's it's but, fine. You know, it's like, but it's fine to have an official language. But what is important? It is not ostracizing or shaming other people for using a different language because of it, of that different of that language being different. Because no, that's, not, that's not what they're ashamed. They're ashamed because, and they should be shamed because there are other people in the classroom in that government institution that don't speak their language and they feel excluded. And again, you know what? This point, we should probably move on from that because we clearly have an impasse here. You just disagree and I just disagree. So it's up to the audience to decide which one made more sense. You claim there's no harm. I showed you that there is harm. And I, I thought that your basic argument right now is you're, you either ignore the fact that there are other students in the classroom potentially, no, or I, you no, don't no. think that there's a harm in those students listening to another language and not knowing what yeah. and, and being excluded. No, there no, there is no harm to other students speaking that language because the other people are not included within that social group and within that conversation. So it's fine if we um, balkanize into small groups that only speak their own languages. That is way too much. That's that's too far a radical position on this, and you know it. I, I know it, but you're not seeing the the slippery slope from one to the next. Yeah, because okay, if, but we I we have one, but we have one institution where we learn social norms. No, this is the problem with the slippery slope argument. We can isolate where the slippery slope is. So ask me where this. So where do you think the slippery slope? It like you know where is the tell me stop it. What so it doesn't wait, get to that much of a problem? Where do what, where what, what, no, no, wait? You tell me what institution will teach those kids that when they're surrounded by people of other ethnic groups, they should speak English. Canada, our, inst our learning institutions. Your teachers. Like, so like, what the teacher did was correct. You just don't like the form. You don't like the argument she but made. But she should have been doing what she was doing. Should have been pressuring uh -huh. them to speak English. Okay, which but she the, did. Behind that is we are not shaming people for it. We're teaching people about this other language. We are not shaming people because they don't because they aren't able to speak English at all. Or and we are not shaming people because they are simply speaking a different language at that point in time with people who also speak that certain language at that point in time. Be, like, you know, the, the other thing is that? The, the other thing is I'm I'm kind of um I'm kind of uneasy right now because I am never speaking I'm not speaking for all Americans. And I know that the Quebecois would have, did I pronounce it correctly? Um, it's uh, Quebec, it's Quebecois. Quebecois. And, um, and, and I know certain individuals that are Quebecois that would highly disagree with your position um, as Canadian and with your idea that they don't feel oppressed. They would say, no, no, we are, we are, feel, we are feeling oppressed because uh, inclusion only goes one way, just like in that classroom. Inclusion in that classroom only implies um, you know, accepting that people speak other languages. It doesn't imply so actually pr promoting social cohesion because any promotion of social cohesion and promotion away from tribalism results in um, tribalist groups claiming right racism. This is why, and, and, and I don't know if you, you follow the, the issues in the, in, with safe, safe spaces, in uh, American oh, academic I, institutions, I used, follow, I, I used to follow that a lot. I used to be a hardcore libertarian before I realized that classical liberals and libertarians are morons, and then decided to become a leftist. 
Oh, thank you for the insult. But um, oh, um, I, I'm I'm sure our, our we had a great, it was a great loss to our cause that you, that you left it. But tell me, um, don't you find it a problem that when that students in an American classroom are still asking for a black safe space? Well, what I would ask is why are they asking for that black safe space? shouldn't um well one of the reasons they're asking for that black safe space and for the lesbian safe space and for the other small tribal group safe space what the reason why these these people are asking for these safe spaces is because the according to jonathan heights research in his recent book i forgot the name the coddling of the american mind actually that that, that that's brought up um, it's because the parenting of this previous generation has been coddling them and they're unable to deal with the smallest amount of attrition. And because they haven't experienced attrition and social cohesion in their interaction with other children in voluntary interactions, because of that, they're bringing their lack of social cohesion and lack of um, un social understanding of how to behave in society. They're bringing it to higher uh, education institutions and they don't have any tools to, to deal with people. So when somebody is rude to them, they feel like they've been violated. Um, on the, the, one of the reasons why you send children out to the playground is because the playground, when unsupervised by parents, is a voluntary exchange. If, the, if everybody behaves in a cohesive manner and a certain group uh, behaves exclusionary, they will get ostracized, they will have less playmates, they will have less people to, to interact with, and they will feel bad and eventually they will um, make a voluntary decision to speak the same language as everybody else because they're free to do so and there's no nanny standing above them and, and because that's absent in uh, ap that type of interaction is reduced or absent in this new generation uh, and because that generation uh, was brought up on with safety nets and safe spaces from small children through their use of the internet and, and up into the higher institution, um, educational institutions. That's why they, they, they have this tribalist mentality is because they, they can't deal with the bands and with the friction and that prevents them from being able to understand differences. They think that a difference is an insult, for example. They're being overly defensive. So you can interject here. I'm, I'm done with my rant, if you want. Okay. Okay, well, one of the reasons that I can see having a safe space for people is based on the idea that possibly people are discriminating against those people in the, in the institution. For instance, if there is a large group of students that are being racist towards people, the people like let's say a, a large group of white guys are calling a bunch of black uh calling a bunch of black people you know like racial slurs they would i would see that as justification for having that safe space i would also see using the lesbian argument if people are like if uh men are going out and trying to like force women to have sex with them or saying oh well um any luck with women or anything like that i can see that as justification for like a safe space being created as somebody who is bi, as someone who's bisexual. I actually like they, fully understand you, and I would and I, I I support that to an extent. I can understand why that's the solution. Yeah. But the problem is that the, one of the issues that you're not figuring out, and I think where the mistake is with that position, is that 
um, you're acting on the symptoms and you're healing the symptoms instead of acting on the real issue. Um, and what is the, the real issue? The political, the political movement of of the 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 liberation of and an equal rights movement in in the United States. One of its fundamental tenets was the idea that everybody is absolutely equal, and that um, there should be no discrimination and no segregation. Um, they fought tooth and nail for integration in high schools and in colleges. They fought tooth and nail to have a black person in every classroom if that's what they desire, because they wanted society to heal. They wanted people to become, in the end, not culture blind, but color blind in a sense of their judgment, in the legal sense, color blind. And they believe that the best way to achieve that is to just dump everybody into the same swimming pool, have them swim together, and learn to negotiate, learn to have um, exchanges. Some of that learning is painful. People will knock into each other. People will mistreat each other. But as long as they're interacting and they're being guided in that direction, eventually you gain um, cohesion of the society. Part of that interaction is the experience of being offended and having that person that offended you explain what they actually meant and believing that explanation. So, for example, if I give a compliment to one of my students and I say, you know, you're quite smart. If they hear in their mind, oh, he says you're quite smart for a girl or you're quite smart for my ethnic background, that's, that's their victim mentality and their kind of insecurity that's speaking. And the only way for them to get rid from that insecurity is to interact with me and to find out, no, I, I don't differentiate based on their skin color. I actually treat them equally. And by constantly working with me, they will receive proof of that. And they can actually talk to me. They can say, hey, did you, or, or did you may just make a racial comment? And I will say no. Um, no m meaning of that sort was intended. And I'll be more careful next time. But it's the interaction that will allow them to gain trust. If instead, whenever they hear something like this, they go to their own corner and they don't talk to me, they, their assumption become fact. They don't know what my intention was. Okay, well, what I would ask to you is, what do you think a safe space is? The most charitable um, attitude um, is it's a place where you can have a break from people of other tribal groups. That's the most charitable. You're just, you're allowed to have a break. Uh, okay, the give least, me an example the, of mate. Would you be able to give me an example of a safe space? Yes, it's, um, uh, it might be... Uh, uh, a club uh, in a college or, or a special room or a place where only people of a certain skin color are allowed to enter. Um, or it might be like in the case of that, that one college where Mr. Weinstein taught, where they had an entire day where they discouraged white people from showing up uh, in school because they wanted to have a not just a safe space, but a safe day on a certain um, holiday or event that they were holding. And they basically requested all other ethnicities to remove themselves, primarily uh, the so-called non-people of color, to remove themselves from the institution for the day, including teachers. 
that's the that's the extreme the bad extreme of the safe space that's how it gets out of control yeah, and I would agree with that, which is why I would say we need to isolate it. And what I would advocate in the sense of safe space is instead advocating for a space where, where we do not allow for discrimination based on the characteristics, characteristics of race, gender, sex, or anything like that. And to an extent, schools, and yeah, we can get into the to an extent part, schools are private institutions and they are able to implement that. They're able to, you know, talk to students and be like, hey, this isn't okay behavior. Schools are not private institutions. The idea of a private school is absolutely bogus. In, in most places in the United States, um, including the United States, government funding is hugely influential. Um, and many schools would, would have a big deal. So they, they do receive taxpayer money. In Canada, it's probably even more pronounced. Am I mistaken? Okay, well... Like in Canada, and I believe so too in America, aren't schools able to decide how they like interact with the student body and how they influence the lives of their students within the institution, how they educate those students on certain issues and topics? Yes, but they receive public funding. And so uh, yeah, they, they do. They, so if they're receiving so if they're receiving, you know, funding from the public, like let's say let's take the United States, for example. Um, Quick question, by the way, do you consider Mexicans to be white? Like this, this really doesn't have anything to do with it. Just I, it's just the number that I'm going to use. Uh, uh, personally, uh, I like. I'm not going to call you racist or anything for it. I just I want just, to know your opinion. I know it. that in some statistics in the United States, Hispanics are counted in the same uh, graphs as whites, and in other um, aspects, in in other statistical counts, they're counted um, uh, separately. And you n normally label white Hispanic or white non-Hispanic. All right. Um, all right. All right. Um, so, you know what? I'll just say that Hispanics aren't white just because a lot of people don't think so. Uh, is that okay with you? For the sake of argument, we can continue. I neither support yeah. nor I don't have a position on this. Okay. I, I, well, I'm just trying to make sure that we're on common ground. Sure. All right. So, if you were receiving public from the like funding from the public, wouldn't you want to protect like an estimated forty percent of the population by? By using your public funding in order to try and teach kids, it's not okay to discriminate on people based on the factors at hand. Uh, I, I believe that the best way to teach them is to remove uh, and minimize segregationist activity within my schools. Um, yeah. Not to wait to not allow safe spaces and to make schools the melting pots of society, where um, the the so-called white and European population, the Irish and the Germans. And, and people who don't even remember their ancestry and are entirely American, um, they get to learn about Mexican culture. That's fine. And they have Cinco de Mayo. They have all the celebration, all the ethnic integration celebrations. They can wear some Mexican costumes, everything. Mexican history gets taught. But at the same time, the other side also happens is that everybody learns about the cultures that contributed to the United States, um, their history, um, and what it means to be um, a civic nationalist American is also taught. Um, and I do believe that this requires a unified language. I'm, I'm glad we agree that English should be the one. And so I think that especially in the, in the high school, um, it should be a law that to avoid any chance of an exclusion, we don't allow racial slurs whatsoever uh, outside of like their academic discussion. And we don't allow other foreign languages to be used outside of academic discussion or a specific class to learn that language well, or a specific class dealing with that culture. 
Well, what I would say to that is, isn't not allowing people to use a certain language, isn't that discrimination on people based on their ethnicity? Because the language is based because the language is heavily determined by their ethnicity. So if you're make so if you're passing a law making it illegal for people to use a certain language within the school, isn't that discrimination based on their ethnicity? Um, it it would be countered by the discrimination, and you would have a balance. You would have a balancing act. On the one hand, there is their right to speak their native language uh, when they're outside of the classroom and when they're on break. And that right should not be infringed because that's the constitution. On the other hand, there's the right um, of all the students that participate in this exchange in the school uh, to be um, involved going on, not just in the education, but also into the social network. Again, the main value of a high school, a college, a degree, of any of institutions where society is forced to mingle together is the actual mingling together and is the building of communication and contacts. That's what creates social cohesion in my book. Yeah. Okay. And so you, you, I wouldn't agree with that, but I would say fair enough. Let, let me explain a, a little bit, just a tiny bit more. I believe that certain in certain aspects, you have trade-offs. So there are many cases in the United States where you find those positions where one side of the constitution contradicts with another, you know, one intention contradicts with another. And that's where you have justices decide on what's best to do. And I think that some of the, their decision in the past, like the decision, for example, to allow the United States flag to be burned and probably a decision that English is not, should, cannot be considered like a, a national language. I think that was adjudicated. Those might have been the mistakes, and under a different court, maybe a differently balanced court, they might yeah. be reviewed, and we might have a different outcome. I um, think that's the that's the core of the issue that I'm bringing to the table. Well, okay, I'll say the flag burning one for a little bit later because I feel like that goes into a different like thing I have against the nationalism. But, anyways, <clears throat> um. Damn it, I actually for forgot what I was going to say. Uh, sorry about that. Um, do, do you want to talk about, um, you were going to provide me evidence, uh, statistical one, hopefully. Um, and, and I mean, Putnam is not good. And we criticized Putnam. According to you, it's yeah. not good. I think that your actual article is yeah. very important because it says exactly how Putin is misinterpreted, but it doesn't actually invalidate his study. That's, that would require a special type of criticism. I don't think anyone actually um, disqualified his methods or his methodology. Uh, people are disagree with his conclusion. People disagree with other people's interpretation of his conclusion. But I don't think Putnam has been invalidated by you. You would have to provide a source for that. And I want a Putnam-level source to this idea that um, people that come into the United States, um, actually uh, the majority, the absolute majority of them, not only want to integrate and become like, like Americans, but um, they also succeed in doing that in like two or three generations. Well, I actually have a PDF. Um, the title is Diversity in Public Education, Acknowledging Immigrant Parent Knowledge. It's by Yang Guo. Um, it's Chinese name, so I'm probably not going to get it right. And it's from the University of Calgary. I can send it to you in your DMs. No, there's hashtag debate voice text. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, I don't know if that works. Let me try real quick. I know that there is. I won't. I don't really need evidence oh, for the fact. 
it works. Sorry, it works. I I, I I I totally agree with this idea that in general our system does promote some level of integration. I don't think it's like total shut, but I do think well, that that there are sim there there are signals coming in into our system of coordinates. There are signals coming in. They're saying it's not the pressure cooker is not at the level of pressure as it was before. Before, um, you know, during the time of the immigration of the Irish and the Italians, for example. Well, I mean, like, what I would say to that is I feel like the main disagreement that we have is more, like, ideological and, like, cultural disagreements. Like, you're looking for more cohesion based on the idea of the melting pot. Would you agree with that? I don't know how that is Caucasian. No, 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 no. I, I said that. You're looking for more, no, you just said, quote, you're looking for more Caucasian ways. No, like cohesion, cohesion. Oh, cohesion. Thank God. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so sorry about that. But yeah, you're looking for more cohesion based around the melting pot, correct? Yes. If I don't have the melting pot, civic nationalism goes to shit. Yeah. But like what people like me and what I learned in Canada, and this is from like our culture and also our education system is that like, I and many other Canadians look for, you know, like cultural cohesion through the idea of the mosaic. Like, like, like a lot in America, I don't know if America does this, but in Canada, our teachers describe Canada as more mosaic, while people in America consider themselves to be a melting pot. Would you, would you agree with that statement? Or uh, I think that um, uh, I would not generalize America or Canada like that. I think that, and one of my main criticism to you is that. Your statistics and your experiment is very, very young. Um, your um, these these policies are are less than forty years old. They're probably less than twenty years old, and we know that in such social studies, uh, it takes it takes double that amount of time to figure out the actual impact. It takes several generations. Um, actually, and sorry for interjecting here, but actually, when we look at Canada, these policies have been in place for. Um, at least 50 or 60 years. It's just the fact that the overall worldwide consensus around the idea of multiculturalism, which is what I'm guessing you're referencing, is that true? Uh, I, I don't know to what extent, and I don't know the type and the level of migration into Canada that, that existed. Well, I, know, actually, well, I know that there was a large wave of migration from uh, post-Soviet nations when the Soviet Union collapsed and opened borders. Several of my relatives and friends ended up in Canada and um, yeah. they had uh, and they 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 were received in a different way and they had a different attitude about what it means um, and they're part of that experiment I guess and then there is an um, but the the cultural differences between uh, these groups and Canada were not that great to begin with uh, I would I would go and venture and say um, but the the types of immigrants that Canada is receiving right now and plans to receive um, are quite a bit different. So your mosaic is going to get tested very very soon. It's going to get yeah. tested within the next twenty years, and we're going to be observing from our side of the border. The oh, it's oh, it's already being tested. Yes, like it's already being tested because of the huge like um, in Ontario apparently, and I disagree with this because I believe because uh, freedom of religion and everything, but. Um, in uh, Ontario, they have set up like three or four Muslim courts where they follow Sharia law, which, like, depending on how they work, uh, like, depending on how they do work, I would agree with that to an extent. Um, but 
yeah, like it already is being tested. And it's been tested, I would say, ever since the 90s. But the thing is, it's like. Yeah, it's been tested on a small scale and it's been tested by other communities like the Jews. And if you assume that the Jews behave in in the same exact way uh, in the, in their courts, in their, um, you know, kosher courts and organizations compared to um, the people coming in from um, Sharia nations and Muslim nations, I, I will think you'll be surprised that one religion is quite different from the other. Um, yes, I, I do study a lot of religions occasionally. And yeah, they are quite culturally different, even though they are Abrahamic. One, for example, is proselytizing; the other is not. One um, oh, is. Sorry, could you repeat that? More, could you repeat that? Sorry. One is missing. Uh, ha, one is has the idea of spreading outside of itself and and establishing mission as a missionary activity. And one of them is exclusionary. It's supposed to isolate itself from the rest of society, at least in the more uh, traditional form. So you have one that that's basically very uh, pacifist and um, you know, and one that that uh, tries to apply its law um, beyond its own context. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, but the main thing is like we have in Canada, and I researched the like I've I've, I've done a law course. I've researched the Canadian Charter of Human Rights. We have like set up boundaries in order to protect people, not just from for being Muslim, but also for being Christian, Jewish, atheist, you name it. We make sure that we have laws in place to protect these groups no matter what. Yeah, the and problem so have, is so the problem is some of your laws, especially the most recent ones, uh, protect those groups against um, the valid criticism that it should receive. One of the ways that the melting pot works in the United States is that wait, in the United States? Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sure, go ahead. Interject. Can, okay. Can are you talking about Motion One Hundred Three in Canada? Uh, we'll go into specifics in a bit. Um, okay. All right. In the in the United States, one of the traditions that uh, allowed groups to integrate against prejudice against them, and they had to be extra good. They had to be the best example of themselves. And there's a great, for example, distrust of Catholics early on because people did not like the, the, the spirit of America is we don't have any other king. We don't have kings. Kings bad, okay? And it's, it's a very ingrained fundamental um, level attitude among Americans. We don't like monarchies. Because the Catholic Church is established as uh, a theocratic kind of status structure, People were afraid that that Catholics will have split allegiances. People criticized, um, you know, the ability of a president to be Catholic and still uh, consider America number one compared to the Vatican, for example. And so, um, obviously, maybe those fears were um, I mean, unwarranted what... because the the Vatican isn't as powerful as it used to be. But that's the spirit of America, in a sense. And Catholics that, had to prove like religion, no, no, no. Well, Go ahead. Well, in well in America, like Obama was a Christian. Like he was a like he was a huge Christian. He went to church every Sunday. He celebrated Christmas every for each and every eight years that he was in office. Obama was a huge Christian, but he legalized things like gay marriage, which directly goes against the Bible. By the way, no, 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 so, no. That's not a that's not the same conversation. 
people there are, there are Protestant Christians and there are various um, you know groups of various types of Christians in the United States that are all local. They have local churches and their allegiance is to their um, to their parish, to their to their group, to their tribe, to their group of people, and they all um, um, and they all have to um, kind of exist in a in an institution where there is a separation of church and state. And some of these groups, obviously, they go too religious and they try to marry the government and religion in the United States. And there's fighting against that. It's a struggle. But in general, their allegiance still belongs in the United States. Even the most fundamentalist Christians in the United States are still American patriots in, to their core. They, they, maybe you can say that they betray the country for God. Maybe. But they don't betray it definitely for any other be being on earth. Whereas the Catholics lived with the accusation that they might betray the United States to support uh, the Catholic position of the Vatican. And that, that was never tested, thank God. And, um, we, and, and the society learned to trust them. And most of these hangups disappeared. No longer have those fears. But I don't necessarily think that those fears were all negative. Fears that were not supported by any government laws they promoted certain behaviors in society. They promoted integration. They were part of the pressure of this pressure cooker. Now, is that the same case for the Muslims in the United States? Do they feel the same pressure? Some of them would say, yeah, they, they would quote 9-11 and they would say that after 9-11, there was way too much pressure against them. There was racism against them. And they're, they're, they're very touchy about the subject. They're rightfully so, to some extent. Yeah. Well, Muslim but but there, there's a whole group of people that say criticizing them because they're, they're like double victims, victims for being the other and victims for suffering the post-9-11 overreaction, that we have a word called Islamophobia in the United States. And when you accuse somebody of Islamophobia on national TV, you accuse a liberal like Sam Harris from being able to criticize Islam. And that's one of the reasons, one of the ways that, that American nationalism is being eroded is by, you know, core principles, like being able to criticize everyone. Um, the shaming is directed not at, the, at a backwards religion. The shaming is directed at its critics. Well, like, yeah, I would say Honestly, that's a really interesting argument. Uh, all right. Uh, do, do you want to do uh, some kind of, um, my time is not unlimited. I don't see that we have like, a, we have some disagreements clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, some, like, we reach some agreements clearly. Would you like to make concluding statements and end just to make um, it a good package? Uh, yeah. And so I would say that aside from like the start of the conversation, I'd say you're very respectful. Um, I would say that you. I would say that it was just honestly a decent conversation to have, and just thanks. Um, I would like to continue the conversation later because um, I would like to know your opinion because you're a nationalist and the whole like flag burning and uh, things like what happened with the like kneeling during the national anthem. I would like to know your opinions on that and also just get my rebuttal to it. But overall, I think it was a decent conversation. Yeah, we should. Uh, I'll definitely look forward to part two, and I would hope that. You know, there's also open loose ends with uh, with support. So I haven't seen a Putnam level article. Actually, I did. You gave me the PDF. So I would check if that PDF is Putnam level of rigor. 
I would hope it is, but because part of the subject was the United States, I would hope not just for Canadian research, but for research into the United States situation. Um, I would hope that you would actually pr like research this topic, the topic, for example, of um, the feelings of uh, of the illegal Mexican migrants and some legal Mexican migrants about the United States and American nationalism, um, the feelings of various other new waves of migration coming into the United States about America. Oh, I've, well, I've researched that, and I'll say this right now, and this is going to surprise you. If they're illegal, they need to go. But I believe but. in immigration reform to make it so that's easier for them to come in. So the first part of that statement might be surprising, but yeah, I'm very much more pro-immigration reform, not open borders. If I didn't state that before, then yeah. It's it's fine. That's closer to my position. I think it actually might mirror it. Uh, I think where you need to provide me support is you made a statement earlier on. You said that people are generally in favor of becoming like Americans and integrating. And I think that those, if you show me a statistic from um, like the 50s, the 60s, the 80s, and the 2000s, I, I expect a decline in, in statistics of cohesion and wanting to integrate. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, like, like, and, before, you, and you expect a flat line. Yeah. Well, before I go, would I be able to provide an anecdote even? Like, I know anecdotes are horrible, but before you go, would I be able to provide a quick anecdote? I provided one, so go ahead. Okay. So, I am a dual citizen, and before Brexit happened, I actually considered moving to the Netherlands. I really enjoy Dutch culture. I enjoy the ideas of the Dutch. I love Dutch architecture. And because I like that, and because I like the laws and the systems that they have in place, and also just the historical, like, the historical connections to places like Canada. Fun fact, Canada actually liberated the Netherlands, and that's why a thousand dead Canadians are buried in the Netherlands. But anyways, but because I enjoy Dutch culture and because I want to move there, it's because I want to connect with that society. It's because I appreciate what that society is. And yeah, like anecdotes aren't important, but at least coming from me, if I want to move somewhere, it's because I enjoy the values and I want to integrate into that society, which, you know, the people there have fostered. Now, that's just coming from me. I would have to go and find statistics for that. But yeah. If I want to be totally reactionary, I would say that your uh, application of your own personal experience to expectations about the experience of others uh, is a typical liberal bourgeois failure. <laughs> well, well, I'll say this right now. Fuck the bourgeoisie. Uh, all, all right. Well, yeah. I wouldn't go, go that far. Um, you're talking to the guy who's with Antifa, dude. Well, not with Antifa. That's a wrong adjective, but yeah. Uh, well, then, then you would be fighting yourself for quite a while. Uh, sure <laughs> so, uh, do you want to end it here then, or? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, thanks for being respectful, and talk to you later. Cheers. Uh, a bit unfair, but any questions, or should we end the recording? All right. Um, happy upcoming New Year. 12, 28, 2018.